And during that presentation, when we pulled those scraps of paper out, you should have saw the look on the executive's face. What in the world is this? He said, well, we decided to change strategy and here are the strategies. And you have them on napkins and pieces of paper. And said, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that impressed the executive VP and the uh, administrative assistant who was with him. Because uh, a few days later, they called and said, you've got the business. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast. This is the podcast to help you turn up the volume and find your next career breakthrough. Now, people always ask me about networking. They say to me, Jason, I don't like networking. I don't like going to events. I don't like spending time on LinkedIn. Well, here's the deal. Networking and finding exposure to yourself is key to building your brand and to finding your next career breakthrough. The dirty little secret is if you're applying for a job by the time it's posted, it's probably already too late because there's already people who are interviewing that got in the door because of their network. Now, here's the thing. There are so many obstacles to having a strong network because ultimately a great network is a diverse network. Now, inherently as human beings, we are wired to like people who are like us. And that is something that they call the self-similarity principle. Honestly, we just are attracted to people who look like us who think like us, who've had the same experiences, which might be growing up in the same city, going to the same school, as well as people that have our same point of view. I mean, if you just look out across the United States, most of us live in a neighborhood where the makeup is very similar to us in things like socioeconomic status, in race and ethnicity. And even when you go beyond that, you probably live in a neighborhood or a city that are a group of people that share your same political affiliations. Now, here's the whole thing. If you look at your network in that way, you're going to be stuck in an echo chamber because we are all around people that think, look, and act just like us. And that is not helpful when you are trying to reach out and grow your career and find that next breakthrough. Simply, you've got to break through those echo chambers. So let me give you just a quick tip, maybe a little bit of a networking hack, and that is called creating your treasure map. So here's what I want you to do. Pull out a piece of paper, pull out a post-it, pull out a pen, and you are going to do a treasure map. Right at the center, I want you to do kind of like a star, or maybe it's a wheel that has spokes coming off of it. And I want you to think about what are the different spokes? What are the different 
diverse communities, the different diverse networks that are affiliated to you. So when I sit down and think, I go, hey, you know what? I'm an LA, California kid, but I grew up in Pasadena, California. And I went to a college prep school called Polytechnic. I went to the same school from the time that I was five years old till the day that I turned 18, which happened to be the same day that I graduated. So even though I may not see people that I went to school with back in Pasadena, I know that I always always have a connection to those folks and they have big connections in terms of diverse networks, right? Then I think to myself, well, hey, same thing. I went to the University of Southern California. I still have a group of friends there. You know what? Early in my career, I worked at Disney. Even though that was almost 30 years ago, I still have uh, connections there. I spent 25 years at Comcast NBC Universal. Wow, that's a bucket. I've spent all of this time in the learning profession. I have tons of contacts that are in the learning and talent development space. But then I think back, you know what? My mom was a school teacher for the LA Unified School District for over 30 years in her career. I still have a whole connection to a whole nother diverse group of folks that are my mom's friends, right? That tend to be not only of her age bracket, but of the industry and the education space that she was in. I know tons of diversity practitioners. You know what? I'm also on the board of directors of the Los Angeles LGBT Center, That's a whole nother group of people that I interact with in terms of fellow board members, as well as staff members that can be very, very different from me. So when I sit down and do my treasure map and I put it into buckets coming off of a hub and spoke model, suddenly I am able to think about my network in a much more diverse way. Now, here's the thing. When I was first mapping out this Lead With Your Brand podcast, I thought to myself, let me make a list of all of the folks that I'm going to have on, on the show. And I thought, hey, you know what? I'm I'm diverse. I'm multicultural. I'm a member of the LGBTQ community. I'm going to have the most diverse set of folks on. And then I took a look at that first list and I said to myself, oh, this is an awesome list. Then I took a second look and said, wow, this isn't such a diverse list because somehow I curated an amazing list of people that I know that are also multiracial gay guys like myself, right? So don't confuse that just because you have a diversity dimension or you're part of a particular community that you have a diverse network, right? You've got to bust through that. Now, the reality is, yes, I do have a diverse network. We still tend to gravitate to people that are most self-similar to ourselves. So when you do that treasure map, that really busts it up. So thinking about this own podcast that you are listening to, I went back to that treasure map and I started listing through, wow, who are all of the different folks that are part of these unique communities? And then it also made me realize this is how I can connect and add value to people. Because today's guest is all about connecting with people. In fact, he is the chairman and chief connectivity officer of the IW Group. His name is Bill Amata, and he runs a full-service communication, advertising, and marketing agency specializing in multicultural and multi-generational brands. Now, he's been doing this for over three decades and has helped some of the top global brands, including Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Netflix, Walmart, 
Walmart, Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, and more. And he is also the co-founder of the National Millennial and Gen Z Community, an association that is devoted to helping companies and organizations connecting with the young adult consumer. We'll be back in just a few moments with Bill Amata. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back, everyone, and I am thrilled to have our guest today, Mr. Bill Imada. Bill, what's going on? Well, a lot of things are going on in terms of, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you're kind of setting the bar high for everybody else. So it's just been fun to kind of uh, learn so much about what's happening around the country and around the world. Uh, and I have to say, I'm learning so much from the guests that you've had on your podcast, so. Ah, well, thank you, Bill. And you have been on my list for over a year as uh, one of our season one guests. So I'm so glad that we found this time. Now, Bill, you are the chairman and chief connectivity officer of the IW group. So I just have to hear from you. What in the heck is a chief connectivity officer? So I see dots. A lot of other people see other things, but I see dots. And then I always try to find ways to connect those dots. So if there are people, places, things, events, activities, I try to find a way to find a connection between those dots. And if there isn't a dot, I actually create a dot. Very cool. So tell me, how do you create a dot when it's, there's not, not a connection already there? Well, you kind of pay attention to the trends. You look and see what's happening in the world. You say, okay, there's something missing here. What can we do to be a bridge? And a lot of times that bridge is just another dot. And it could be a person, a thing, an event, an activity. Uh, It could be a movement or you can create one. And so those dots actually create bridges between communities and people and organizations and get people to think. So I love, Bill, that you have actually built one of your brand pillars right into the title of your role. Um, So tell me, how do you explain what you and your firm do to someone who doesn't know who you are? So I usually start off by telling people what I'm excited and passionate about. Uh, And that's usually just being curious about the world, uh, being able to think about things that could happen. And if they aren't happening, making them happen. And so I usually talk a little bit about what I'm passionate about. Then I tell people exactly some of the things that I'm doing to ignite that passion and pass it on to others. Uh, And then that ultimately leads to uh, what I do. Uh, And that's uh, make connections, get people to understand the importance of diversity and inclusion, but also help companies and organizations figure out the best way to connect with people. Now, Bill, you have been doing this for 30 plus years, right? I mean, you've had really a storied career in this space as a marketer, a communicator, an agency owner. Really walk me through, if you look back, what have been the biggest career breakthroughs for you? How did you get to where you are today? Being an introvert, I I don't think that really helped me in the advertising communications world, but I started off as an introvert. And as an introvert, you kind of go through all these different phases. And I think 
one of the biggest breakthroughs, and I want to go too far back because this is way before you were born, Jason. Uh, <laughs> I was in college and I decided after uh, a little while that I didn't like the way the student government was being run. So I ran for student body president. And I have to say, uh, one of the biggest moments for me was speaking in front of the accounting association and bombing. And what? Is because uh, I wasn't a great orator. I didn't plan ahead. I didn't put dots on the wall like you do. Uh, and think about what I'm going to say. And so I fell flat on my face. And it took another person to say, snap out of it. Get over it. Pick yourself up and start again. Uh, because you've got a lot of things that you could offer the student body. And so that was a, a big moment for me, which helped me understand that if you're going to take risks, you're going to fall. And it's how quickly you pick yourself up, learn from that and move on that helped me kind of advance through my career. So that was a very important moment. Uh, but like you, you mentor a lot of different people. And one of the things that I want people to know, is you can find mentors anywhere. It could be your next door neighbor. It could be your mom or your dad or your caregiver. Uh, but my mentor was Latinx, an executive from Anheuser-Busch who kind of took me under his wing and made sure that uh, I realized that being Asian American is something important. Being part of who I am is really important. And making sure that I pass on what I learned to others is very important. So that was uh, also important in my life. So tell me, Bill, how did you get from there, right, that that work that you did in student government? How did you get into launching your own agency? It's a really good question. So I thought that I would get the perfect job when I was in college. So I applied for a job while I was in college to work at McCann Erickson. And I thought that I would get that job. I aced that interview. I walked away and said, this job is mine. Two days later, I found out from McCann Erickson, sorry, Bill, I mean, it was a great interview, uh, seemed bright, but we decided to give the job to another student. Oh, I was devastated. And I said, you know what? I don't want to be in advertising, marketing, or PR. I am going to go a different route. So I decided to go into politics and help a person get elected. Uh, and then I said, no, I don't like politics. I'm going to go into executive search. Uh, I don't like that. I decided to go into uh, an HR position and I moved around. So I think one of the key messages for your audience is it doesn't matter if you go from left to right, up or down, sideways or backwards. Just enjoy the journey and learn as much as you can on that journey. So anyways, after all of that, I had an opportunity to start my own agency. And that agency was with somebody I literally met on an airplane and uh, we started a company called Amato Schulte. It was in government relations and public affairs. And after two and a half years, I realized this wasn't for me. So I decided to try to work for an agency. And I had that opportunity. Uh, an agency was purchased by a very large agency. And that person said, Bill, would you like to be part of our startup? And I said, absolutely. And the sad part of that was they put me on an account that I absolutely did not want to work on. <laughs> and, uh, and this is an agency where if you have a moral objection to working on something, you can actually go to the president and say, I can't work on this. It does not work for me. It goes against everything I am and who I am and what I'm about. But the leaders of the agency said, you know what? This company just loves you. You're not going anywhere. You need to stay there. And this is when I got that opportunity to work for Anheuser-Busch. Uh, there was an RFP and the RFP was 
a little strange at that time. It was if you had $500,000, how would you reach Asian Americans? And when I got that, uh, I said, well, why are you asking me to look at this? And they said, because you're Asian American. And I said, uh, yeah, I'm Asian American, but that doesn't mean I know anything about marketing to Asian Americans. Uh, but I decided to take it on and ultimately won that business. And that's how I got started with my own agency. Wow. So, I, I mean, it's it's interesting how there's opportunities that come of, of things that you kind of are resistant to at first, right? Absolutely. And uh, actually, when we were getting ready to pitch that business, we realized that we were off strategy when we were on the plane. And we decided to change the strategy. And we thought, well, run over to Kinko's, which is now FedEx, and we'll make all the changes before we get to Anheuser-Busch. And there was a snowstorm. <laughs> and so we were late and we were, we had actually written all of our strategies on little flip boards and on little post-it notes and scraps of paper and napkins. Uh, and when we decided at the last minute in the taxi that we would just do the presentation that we had and then throw in our napkins and our scraps of paper. And during that presentation, when we pulled those scraps of paper out, you should have saw the look on the executive's face. What in the world is this? We said, well, we decided to change strategy and here are the strategies and you have them on napkins and pieces of paper. And said, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that impressed the executive VP and the uh, administrative assistant who was with him. Because uh, a few days later, they called and said, you've got the business. Uh, and at the time, I thought it was great. But then the agency I was working with actually had a conflict of interest. And so um, I said, uh, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't realize we had a conflict of interest. We can't work on your business. Plus that I'm in debt and I need this job. And uh, the executive actually paid off my debt. What? This so how does a conversation go like that? that? Yeah. Finally, he hates it when I tell this story because he doesn't remember the story the way I tell it. But when <laughs> it happens to you, you will never forget this story. Uh, but he, every time he hears that I've talked about him in this way, he gets a little upset and goes, Bill, quit telling that story. Quit telling that story. I just did what I thought was right at that time. And you're very talented, and I want you to face up to your fears. If you have debt, so what? Find a way to eliminate that debt. So he literally paid off my debt, and I started a company that day with three very diverse people, and that's how IW Group got started. And now, how many years? How many years later are you still in business? Uh, this was way before you were born, Jason. So I'm uh, not that young. I only look young. Yeah, I know it. It must be something that you're doing. Exercise, <laughs> really great creams. I'm not sure what it is, uh, but pass it on, please. This is about diversity and inclusion. So make sure you pass those things on to me. It's been 30 years. Uh, I've been doing this for a little over 30 years now. Yeah, I mean, that that's just uh, amazing, right? And really coming off of, a, of an account that had so many things going against it, right? From your own resistance to there being a conflict. And, you know, here you are 30 years later. It's kind of a great lesson in resilience. Now, I'm interested, Bill, because for years, you have been seen as the expert in Asian American Pacific Islander marketing, right? In really, I would say, across the country, right? People think of you in the AAPI community. Everyone turns to you. You know, you're on all of these advisory boards. But then more recently, you've pivoted and you've really focused on generations and millennials and Gen Z. So talk to me about that shift. Why and how did you do that, knowing that, like, you were the go-to guy for AAPI work? 
Yeah, I don't want to throw too many people under the bus here, but I was receiving these different reports from the companies. Uh, some of them I work for, some of them are big think tanks. And uh, a couple of the companies said, Bill, we did a report on millennials and Gen Z. Will you take a look at them and give us your opinion? And I said, absolutely. So they just started piling up on my desk uh, and I procrastinated. And one day I decided, <laughs> I got to take these reports home. It'll be great bedtime reading. So I took them home and I started reading them and I started to crack up. It's like, millennials hate banks. Millennials don't have sex. Millennials are killing the insurance industry. And the next one says, millennials are great savers and go to banks and put their money and make that money work. Millennials are, are very sexually aware. And you know, I was thinking, why is this report contradict this report? And why does this report say this thing? And this one says something else. So I went to our seven interns who are from all around the country and I just stacked it on their uh, table. And I said, you know, would you guys take a look at these reports? It's all about you. Uh, and tell me what you think. Again, for about three or four days, I heard screaming, shouting, people getting mad and people laughing. Uh, and they came out uh, after a few days and said, Mr. Mata, we own up to 20% of what's being said about us. But the other 80% is wrong. <laughs> and I said, well, what is it wrong? What's wrong about it? And they said, it's a bunch of boomers like you and Gen Xers who define who we are. And I said, well, why don't you do something about it? They said, because we can't. Because the pipeline is clogged with a bunch of boomers and Gen Xers, and we can't go anywhere, and nobody cares about what we have to say. And I said, you're wrong. People do care. But you've got to exercise your voice. You've got to find your voice. And he said, will you help us find that voice? And I said, yes. So that's I got involved in Gen Z and Millennials. And so talk to us a little bit about the panel and what you're doing with uh, Millennials and Gen Zs and connecting them with, with companies. I remember when I was in college, people used to tell me, Bill, you can't speak to that executive. Uh, there's a pecking order. Uh, no, Bill, you can't do that because that person is a high level person and we don't even talk to that person. And I remember that when I was in college and I said, if I'm ever in a position of power, I'm going to make sure I share it. And so I told these young people that there is no reason why you can't speak to an executive of a company or an organization or a governmental agency. And I'm going to open that door. It's up to you to express yourself to that person. And so rather than have typical presentations where companies have young people from college come in and the companies talk about all the great things they're doing around their products, services, diversity and inclusion, and why it's such a great place to work, uh, we turn the tables and we let the executives ask the students and young people what they think. Uh, what is it about our brand that you like? Do you agree with our position on Black Lives Matter? Do you believe in inclusion? And what do you have to say about the elections? Or what do you have to say about our products and services and how we operate? And so we just completely turned the tables where the students are the experts. The young people aren't the experts, not necessarily the executives of these organizations. And that has changed the conversation for hundreds of young people uh, around the country. And uh, change the conversation for hundreds of brands and companies I'm, I'm seeing as well in terms of the work you've done. Yeah, some of the companies have actually changed campaigns, pulled down their websites, redid their uh, programs to recruit and retain people, 
pulled in younger people early and not hide them from things. Because I think a lot of companies, there is that pecking order where the boomers and the Gen Xers kind of rule the roost. And rather than ask their millennials and their Gen Zers and, you know, the different generations that exist in an organization to help them solve problems, they hide them from them. Mm. And the executives kind of at the C-suite kind of ruminate about these problems and then assume that they can speak for the entire company and for the staff. I'm encouraging companies and organizations to pull young people in early. Don't hide things from them. Get them involved in problem solving early. Let them be part of the solution and let them have a voice. Mm. So, I love that when you say that you're a chief connectivity officer, you actually have the actions and behaviors behind that, because ultimately that feels like exactly what you're doing all of the time, right? Connecting different types of people in a way that heightens the conversation and really adds value. So let's talk a little bit about your brand, Bill. How would you describe your brand as an executive, as a chairman of an agency? My brand is the word always, always thinking, always connecting, always finding ways to ignite conversations, always thinking of ways to create movements, always thinking of ways to make the place a better place, a better world. And so I call myself the always brand, Uh, always find ways to, to make life easier for people, always make time. For people who need a mentor or a sponsor, always make time and room for the people that matter in your life. So, Bill, I love that you take that whole notion of always, right? It's like you're packaging yourself almost like how you coach other companies to to package their products, but you really bring it back to a set of core beliefs. That's ultimately what I'm what I'm hearing from you. And how have you kind of come to define those always statements over the course of your career? I have to find those, the word always, because I used to be the person that said, can't be done. It's impossible. Uh, There's no time in the day to get that done. There isn't enough resources. If we, we have a limited share of pie. And I realized that that was limiting my ability to grow professionally and personally, but also limiting the people around me from growing. And so I had to believe and change kind of this, worry and this fear that I used to have about doing things into something that was a little bit more valuable. So now I've learned that fear is a waste of energy. And the best way to use fear is to take that energy and to put it into something positive. And so fear does not conquer me anymore. Fear is a motivator. Uh, and it allows me to push other people and push myself to do bigger and better things. Yes. And tell me a little bit about that aha moment. When did that happen when you said, I need to stop being the never person and be the always person? What was kind of that that thing that made you really want to pivot? A number of things. I think seeing other people fail and not being able to pick themselves up, seeing people around me believe that they can't be who they are. And, and I think Another thing was I went to a university, Cal State University, and we were always in the shadow of the other bigger universities like UCLA and the University of Southern California. And because we were always in their shadow, 
a lot of the students that went to those schools actually had an inferiority complex that we couldn't be as good as the other universities and colleges. And so I realized right then and there that I needed to appreciate the people that spent time giving me a great education, my parents, my family, my friends uh, who actually believed in me and show them that I can take what I have and make it work. And that's also what fueled the National Millennial and Gen Z community. Many of the universities and colleges within that organization are not top of mind in their states. We have a big few big ones like the University of Washington, University of Virginia, but most of them are not household names that you Mm -hmm. typically know when you're thinking of top tier universities. And these students are actually incredible. And so because of what I've learned from mistakes and failures and 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 self-doubt i want to make sure that i pass on what i've learned to other people and that includes my competitors absolutely so i have to play a little bit more on this connectivity piece because as you tell these stories it sure sounds like you do a heck of a lot of connecting on airplanes right whether that's redoing strategies or you even met a, a business partner so I always think of you as someone that's super connected, Bill. It's like anytime I go someplace, people are like, oh, I saw on LinkedIn, you know, Bill Amata, or you had Bill at this event, right? And everywhere I go, it's like people all know you and you've connected me to so many, so many people. How, how, what are some tips that you have for people about being able to connect? Because especially as you said, you started out as someone who was introverted. And I hear from introverts all the time. It's like, I don't want to go to a networking event. I don't want to talk to somebody that I don't know. What are your hacks for being able to connect, even though I might be an introvert? So being an introvert has its advantages. And, and I just heard this and, and I'm loving this. Somebody said that silent, if you scramble the letters, actually also spells listen. (laughs) I mean, one thing I think introverts are really good at doing is listening. And I actually believe that listening is a skill set that people haven't mastered. And I always tell introverts, forget about elevator speeches. Elevator speeches are three key things that you want to pass on to somebody. And this is what typically happens. I went to Cal State Northridge. I graduated a degree in marketing. I'm passionate about working in the high-tech industry. So uh, tell me what you like to do in your spell time. Uh, I went to Cal State Northridge. Uh, I'm a a marketing student. I'm passionate about the high-tech industry. Uh, So we keep repeating these message points over and over and over again when the best thing to do is to be a really good listener and just say, you know, what was your day like? Or how are you enjoying this conference or what, what did you do for the weekend? And the person that is talking actually gives you the message points that you need. Well, you know, I had a horrible time riding in my car down the 405, the San Diego freeway, which is always clogged. And you could just jump in. You know, I had a really bad time on the freeway, too. I mean, there was a little accident on Santa Monica Boulevard. You just make those connections. Uh, and being a really good listener allows you to get those message points. And so I always tell people that, but I also tell people, learn a few things that you, in the classes that you hated. I hated accounting, and I still don't know why I took accounting, but I learned two things from accounting. One of them was LIFO, and LIFO means last in, first out. That's me at a networking event. Oh, God, Jason invited me to a networking event with all of his favorite friends, and I feel bad because I want to go there to support Joe and Jason. So I show up to the party fashionably late 
your party starts at five. I show up at a quarter to six. So I'm the last one in. And then I make sure that I see you, Jason. Hey, Jason, I'm here. And as soon as you turn your back, I'm the first one out. (laughs) Um, But now I tell students the other accounting principle is first in, last out, which is Philo. Uh, and it's an accounting principle. So now I tell people, if you really want to do well in network and you're an introvert, show up to an event early. If the event starts at five, I probably wouldn't show up at your house at five because you're probably not going to be ready and you probably won't appreciate it. But if you go to a networking event and you show up early before the horde show up, there's a really good possibility that some of the key executives that you want to meet are there doing this, right, with their cell phones. And it's so much easier to connect with somebody one-on-one than it is when 300 of your favorite college friends show up and it's 300 to one. So I tell people, be the first one to arrive because first impressions are always the lasting impressions. And then be the last to leave. So first in, last out. While all those 300 people are leaving, circle back to every single person you met and say, Jason, I really appreciate you talking to me early uh, and thank you. You made a great impression on me personally and I want to work for your company. And so while you make those good first impressions, you could always seal the deal with a great last impression. So that's one of the things I always tell people. Okay, only only Bill Amata could find networking tips out of uh, financial accounting. So I'm loving that. Bill, walk me back to when you met your your previous business partner on a plane. Like, how does that happen? Like, how are you sitting on a plane and suddenly you start a business? I was reading the LA Times on the plane. Nobody reads the LA Times on the plane anymore except on their mobile devices, but I actually have broadsheet. And there was a story about a person who is running for mayor of West Hollywood city council. Um, And I was reading this story and I look across the aisle and the person that was running for city council was sitting right across the aisle. Wow. And I was really impressed with this story. Uh, And after I put down the paper, I said, I don't know if I'm going to have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody that is written the story in uh, uh, an LA Times story, and it's just a fascinating individual. So I just put down my broad, broad sheet. And I said, I'm, I'm reading this story about you, and I have to say, I'm really impressed with what I'm reading. Uh, you sound like a person that I could learn from. And we carried on a conversation, and afterwards, uh, he was telling me, I'm going to start, I want to start a business. And I said, So do I. And we just kept in touch, and we ended up starting a company together. Wow. So you you are truly the chief connectivity officer. I mean, this is this is pretty wow. Now, as someone that advises companies and big brands on how to market, how to communicate, uh, how to advertise, what are some of those things that you would tell our listeners are great pieces of advice that you give to big brands that people could use on themselves as a brand? I always tell big brands that they do not have to be everything to everybody immediately. They can take small steps, build cultural competency, and then build from there. A lot of times companies and brands want to try to reach as many people as possible, but I actually don't think that that's very authentic or real to people. If you're trying to reach everyone, then you really miss out on the nuances, the cultural nuances, the authenticity, the genuineness of people. And, and 
that's who you want to meet with. You don't have to meet the person with the biggest following on YouTube or on Instagram. You want to meet people that actually have strong and real connections with the people they know and influence. And, and I say the same with the, the brands is that you need to step back. It's kind of like your other guest, Mr. Gomez, I think he said uh, it's important for you to know your audience. And he actually shifts his conversation based on who he's talking to. And I think that's really important for brands that you you have to have conversa- different conversations with different people, not the same conversation. Absolutely. And of course, you're referring to Patrick Gomez, who's the editor in chief of the AV Club, a great friend and another guest on the podcast. So check out his episode. Um, a couple of final questions for you, Bill. What is your favorite brand? What consumer brand are you obsessed with that you must live with? Oh, my God. Ben and Jerry's. I, I have to say Ben and Jerry's. And, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but I have to say Ben and Jerry's is always always stirring the pot in really good ways. And yeah. so, you know, on, uh, you know, uh, during the Black Lives Matter movement and the killings, I mean, the climate change, I mean, they're always pushing buttons, but I don't think they're pushing buttons in a mean way. They're pushing buttons because they want people to have conversations. Uh, they're thought starters. And that's what I love about that brand is they're always scaling up and pushing buttons creating conversations and often it's around controversy and those controversies are things that we often avoid and we can't keep avoiding these controversies. We have to confront them somewhere in our lives. And what's your go-to Ben and Jerry's flavor? Chucky monkey. (laughs) (laughs) A good old classic, right? Um, If you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Probably a hybrid car that, uh, but not a hybrid that uses fossil fuels, but a hybrid that uses maybe hydrogen um, as a as a sustainable energy source. So hybrid. So I would say probably the Mia. I think it's called the Mira or the Mira. No, the Mirai, which is a Toyota brand, and I don't think we have it in the states. And it and it completely operates on hydrogen, and the output of the car is water. <laughs> which I love about that car. So I'm hoping that that vehicle gets to the States and it's called a Mirai. Very cool. I'm going to have to check that out. Now, finally, Bill, what is the best career advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? The best career advice that I'd like to pass on is that you could learn something from every culture, community, and individual you meet. And I want people to know in the U.S., that you can learn from the Latinx community and the Latinos, they say, donde comen cinco comen seis. And I, and I keep using that because if you could feed five, you could feed six at your dinner table. But I also believe the same about ideas and views. If you have five people at your table, there's always room for a dissenting voice. Uh, and you should always be open to that. Uh, the other piece of advice that I usually have is help whoever you can, even if it's your competitor. And I heard this from a black patriot, uh, Booker T. Washington, who started the Tuskegee Institute. He said, if you want to lift up yourself, lift up someone else. And I live by that mantra. And that includes people you don't like and your competitors. And Catherine Barchetti, an Italian woman, Italian-American who wanted to start a retail empire, she once said, make a customer, not a sale. 
Mm. And I live by that mantra. Uh, you don't have to sell yourself, but if you find ways to be of value to people, they will ultimately become your customer. Well, Bill Amata, thank you for lifting us up. It was great talking to you. Same, same. And, and I, I just really admire all the things that you're doing and your podcast are amazing. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, you should do it, Jason. So thanks so much for creating these conversations for people. Thank you, Bill. And we'll be back with my final thoughts in just a few minutes. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Welcome back. I just loved this conversation with Bill Amata. You know, he had so many nuggets about your career from, you know, overcoming obstacles to not being fearful of fear to really being able to evolve your own brand. But you know what really stuck with me in terms of what Bill talked about was this whole notion of being a connector. He is a super connector and we can all learn from his tips and his hacks. You know, what really stood out was when he talked about making sure that you're helping and supporting and adding value to other people. The number one cardinal sin of networking and building your network is doing it in a selfish way. You have got to make sure that you are listening to other people and you are adding value to the work and the life that they are doing and leading. When you do that, you will find those connections. And as Bill said, we all really rise when we all become better together. You know, years, years, years ago, one of the executives that I worked for said, selfish brands can never serve. And that's ultimately the truth. You don't want to be a selfish brand. You want to be a generous brand that is in service of others. And that is going to be the key to not only leading with your brand, but finding that next career breakthrough. So that's the show for today. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I'd love for you to leave a comment and rate the show. And of course, I love to connect. Find me at Jason Patria on all social platforms and make sure you follow or connect on LinkedIn so you can get the latest on how you can lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. And remember, in your career, don't be a commodity like coffee. Make sure you're a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.